Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. Uh, and I'm Ian Morris. And uh, this week, if you think one of my nostrils is largely blocked, then uh, then you're correct. Well, later on, we're going to be talking in depth about the Galaxy S7's processor inside the UK's model of said phone. It's different to those in many other parts of the world. We're going to talk about why and what that actually means for the phone and its potential owners. Uh, but also, we're going to talk about something a little bit mysterious called tetraphobia. And this is something that's been around for a while. It's the fear of number fours, and it has a particularly weird effect on the world's tech companies. And maybe there's an element of this that explains why companies like Samsung are putting different processes or even different models out in different markets. We're going to come back to that. But first, I just wanted to give a nod to DeepMind, which has been winning some rather difficult games of a game no one has ever heard of (laughs) up until now called Go. Uh, The DeepMind artificial intelligence system bought couple of years ago by google has been playing this incredibly difficult and very old game that uh many podcasts tell me is is like chess but infinitely more difficult and challenging yeah isn't the i i I watched a very brief explainer of it and basically the, the difference is that in chess there are only about something like the next move can only be 12 possible variants or something and in in go it's something like that 2000 or something ridiculous like that i think it might be even more than that i I, I heard one figure say that there are more potential moves in go than there are atoms in the universe yeah i've heard the same thing um but that's doesn't really provide me any beneficial information what we do know is that deep mind i i think um is kind of in the background waving a bit of a british flag here because this was a company founded and started in london you know was bought by google and is now in you know world's attention um, and I think that that's uh, you know that's a great sign that you know we've we've made something good in London and it's gone on to do very interesting big important things as part of a bigger company which is you know which is great I think so yeah. well done that team and I do believe now that they they were going to do five games of this of this uh, uh, game uh, between uh, between the AlphaGo system the DeepMind system and Lee C Doll which is the I think grand world grand champion of uh, He's a go master. He the the AI has won three games. I think C Doll has won t- one now, and there's maybe one more left to go. But that might have happened by the time this podcast goes out. Either way, Deep Mind has won the five, uh, has won the match. So um, I think that's great and well done. It shows what artificial intelligence is doing right. I, I understand that um, one of the problems with Go, or one of the challenges with getting a machine to learn how to play Go is that it has to be able to process huge amounts of uh, uh, potential moves and needs to study the moves that many, many thousands, if not millions of moves or players have, have made before that and process all that information. And that says a lot about what AI can do. If you think about the idea of AI needing to process huge numbers of decisions on a fly to work out whether someone should have insurance or you know uh, what to do in the event of a 
car you know a car crash that's seconds away from happening this kind of processing of huge amounts of very different information and huge numbers of variables is you know is very important to the future of ai and could potentially help robots take over not just what we'd call blue collar jobs but white collar jobs that are basically jobs done by biological data processors humans in desk jobs so essentially we should all be worried i think is what we need to take from this and we've got london's startup community to thank for that haven't we ian yes absolutely thank you london startup community for giving us both something amazing and something probably terrifying Well, we've got some sad news over in the world of video gaming in the UK. Um, in fact, speaking of jobs, I suppose, Microsoft has closed or is closing the Lionhead Gaming Studios. Now, this is the studio probably most famous for the Fable series of games, Fable 1, 2, and 3. It was working on Fable Legends. This is the company, I believe, co-founded or certainly headed up by Peter Molyneux, who made black and white and obviously the fable series itself he left the studio a while ago and founded uh, another company and released a game called goddess um but this is this is sad news for lionhead um it was it became a microsoft gaming studio a few years ago and you know things just have, obviously haven't been working out and, and fable legends which was going to be a free-to-play um multiplayer game on the xbox one and possibly pc as well has never made it past the private beta stage so that's dead in the water as well well, it is an interesting one, isn't it? Because I don't know why you'd buy something and then ultimately shut it. I guess they bought it a while ago and it wasn't able to develop this game to their satisfaction, which I, I suppose is a good thing. You don't want to be putting out bad games. But I would imagine a lot of the people working there will be subsumed into other Microsoft products and will will end up being developing other things. So it's probably not all... Um, bad news, but of course it's another British company down the tubes. Well, well it is, and a 20-year-old one. I mean, it was yeah. founded in 1996. Um, it was bought by Microsoft in 2006. That's, you know, 10 years ago. So uh, in, in, in to sort of counter the fact that they bought something to shut it down, that certainly isn't the case, I don't think, because they've, they've produced too many successful games in the, in that time. They've got over 100 employees. Well, I, I suppose you have to give them some credit for understanding the, the business. I, it, you know, and, it, and after you've spent a certain amount of money, I guess you think, well... How much more money are we going to need to spend to make this the game that we can release? And if at that point you think, hey, you know, look, that's just too much in total, let's cut our losses, I, I can understand that. And I mean, it is it is business. It's it's difficult for people to understand on the outside, isn't it? Because you yeah. think, well, here's a great studio going and a game that people would have been, would have been excited about. Um, but that is business, sadly. <laughs> Speaking of woe, um, the UK's budget is to be released or unveiled next week from Chancellor George Osborne. Now, politics, you may be wondering, what has that got to do in a technology podcast, Nathan Ian? Well, here's why. The uh, Chancellor is expected to reveal details to have driverless cars on UK roads by 2020. Yeah, we've got some, for some reason, the UK's got a real beer in its bonnet about this. And we've decided, someone's decided somewhere, that we are going to be a world pioneer in driverless cars, despite us having nothing to do with the development of said driverless cars. The reason this is interesting, aside from the obvious driverless cars angle, is that one of the world leaders in driverless cars right now is Google. Also, uh, a problem with Google is paying tax. (laughs) And part of the reason that's been an embarrassing problem is because of George Osborne saying that Google's 120-something million pounds of backdated tax 
uh, was enough, while everyone else said, um, how about maybe a billion or possibly more? That yeah. would be better. So I do wonder whether George Osborne just has a soft spot for Google. But either way, if we can get ahead of the game in driverless cars, and if we can strike some sort of tax deal or legal deal that uh, means that we benefit from this, then that probably is a good thing in the long run. And 2020 is only four years away. Yeah. And, you know, we've only very recently announced or seen announced the, I think, four, maybe five towns that have been given the license by councils to test driverless cars on their roads. We talked about those a few shows ago. Meanwhile, and this was actually last year, so not meanwhile at all, um, the driverless lorry that was developed by Daimler had been tested in Germany on a motorway. And driverless lorries, it is expected, is also going to be trialled in the UK and probably mentioned by Osborne in his budget announcement. So we're not just talking about small electric vehicles that will ferry you and your children to and from the shops. We're also talking giant 18-wheeler vehicles that can massacre families if it goes wrong. Let's be honest, though. I mean, it's probably going to be a lot safer than having humans behind the wheel. Well, you say that, but I think Google crashed into a tram the other day. Yeah, but it's it was it it, it crashed in. It, the car was moving at three miles an hour, and the bus was moving at fifteen miles an hour. It wasn't exactly a high stakes thing, but I have to say, <clears throat> reading the incident report was quite interesting because um, for some, so the driver in the the driver in the driverless car, <laughs> uh, weird, um, said that he assumed that the bus would let him go. Now I don't understand why the car thought that. So that's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, this is a sort of look into the mind of the driverless car, really. Um, they're programmed by people. So fundamentally, they will have problems. Indeed. That's what this phase is all about, isn't it? Ironing out the problems and making sure that the stupid people who program them don't do as bad a job as stupid people do of absolutely everything. Well, hopefully they can drive cars as well as they can play Go. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, that. well, that's all going to be part of it, isn't it? Like artificial intelligence predicting what's going to happen next is obviously a huge part of uh, driverless cars, isn't it? Well, yeah, and that's the big, the big reason that I think the AlphaGo situation is so interesting because what that is about is about processing in real time giant amounts of information and, you know, coming out a victor in whatever way that may be. And curiously enough, it's the same two companies working on this but if the UK is going to benefit from this, then I'm all for it. Let us know what you think. Podcast at natelangson.com. Is this too soon? Let us know. One piece of feedback I wanted to get to from last week. Andy and I were talking about optical zoom on uh, mobile phones, cell phones for our US listeners, of course. And uh, Ken Long, a listener, has written in, well, he tweeted at us to say that they, uh, there's a phone made by Asus called the Zenfone Zoom that indeed has an optical zoom, a three times optical zoom on a phone. It's powered by Intel as well on the inside. Now, I'd completely missed this phone that was released last year. And uh, it's got a very flashy website and it's got sort of four stops. It's got optical image stabilization, fast autofocus, all this sort of thing. It's an Android phone. And um, it, so, you know, optical zooms are available in the market. Ian, have you heard of this model? Uh, no, I haven't. And this is, but that's a problem with the Zeus, though. That's that's the issue. Um, they they have a lot of phones, and they're woefully pr- um, promoted in this country. Um, uh, some of them are available, some of them aren't. I don't know if that particular ex- example is, but I'm not surprised to learn that there's an Zeus phone that does this that we haven't heard of. It's 
it's just a, a, the way they work as a company. And of course, Asus uh, brought us the uh, twin examples of confusing branding by re- simultaneously releasing one product called the Pad Phone and one product called the Phone Pad. <laughs> um, they are a very strange company. I do love them. I did ask Andy about this. And uh, he said that it's not very good. Uh, but either way, thank you, Ken, for uh, flagging that on at text message pod on Twitter, which is where you can find us. Uh, send other emails to podcast at natelangson.com. Going to check in quickly with our friend on the other side of the Atlantic to find out what's been causing his ears to prick up in the world of tech. Tom Merritt. Thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we discussed the meaning of email after hearing of the passing of the man who, among other things, selected the at symbol for email, Ray Tomlinson. We mused what would happen if Apple were a nation state, or Facebook for that matter, discussed space tourism and pondered the dilemma of ad blocking and your privacy. That's all at dailytechnewsshow.com. Tom there on Daily Tech News Show. And I have to say the episode he mentioned about email definitely worth listening to because uh well because i love nostalgia he loves nostalgia his guests love nostalgia and uh it's just very interesting in general that was dtns episode 2705 go and have a listen if you're interested in the history of email now ian yes it's time for the big topic of the week samsung released the galaxy s7 that's old news to everyone listening however what may be slightly less old news is the fact that in the uk it has a different processor to in the us and into other parts of the world as do some other european countries it's also the same we the uk has the same processor as korea so the s7 in in korea is obviously sold with samsung's processor i mean that yes. probably makes sense doesn't it uh, it does i mean they considered that the the samsung is the world processor but um the uh, but the us has a has a different one i think that's because obviously uh qualcomm's an american company true america has as always slightly different ways of doing mobile transmission so that you know it their their networks are not entirely the same there's only two that run on gsm or gsm derivatives so yes for that market it makes sense to have a lot of qualcomm hardware true well let's get into what this means first for the uk we're going to talk use this as a little bit of a uh, a jumping off point just to talk about the old tetraphobia thing because i've been basically looking for an excuse to talk about it for months I, you what's at me about this in the week and it makes as little sense to me now as it did then but we'll talk about it in a minute okay well let's talk firstly about what the s7 is like in the uk now some reports have come out to say that the processor in the uk despite being eight cores or or two sets of quad cores um, is in fact less powerful than its Qualcommical rival. Um, <laughs> there are tests out that were quoted on Phone Arena and also on Antu2, who released a bunch of benchmarking figures to suggest that in terms of raw horsepower and you know measured in numbers and graphs, the Qualcomm chip is the more powerful chip. And particularly in terms of graphics power, it's more powerful. Ian, you've got an S7. You've been yes. using it for probably a week or two now. Over a week, yeah. Over a week. So, I mean, number one, when you're using this phone, do you feel like you're using an underpowered product? Not at all. It's amazing. It's like using a supercomputer. It's extremely responsive. Right. So why have so many major publications been up in arms that the UK's got a bum deal? Because you can write a headline about it and you can somehow use it to stick one to Samsung because, you know, Samsung's phone is woefully underpowered or something like that. Um, it's uh, it's just what the press does, I'm afraid. It's It's about, you know, making stuff newsworthy when really the news story is very little. I mean, uh, I'm looking at the benchmarks from Phone Arena. Um, and 
the Qualcomm wins of these five, and the Samsung clearly wins three of its own. Uh, and but the the variance between them is very small amounts. Um, and indeed, the the Samsung Exynos eighty eight ninety actually beat the Snapdragon eight twenty in a test designed by Qualcomm. That's ironic. That's a browser bench. That is ironic. That's a browser benchmark that apparently Qualcomm designed. I think the thing is that I mean, really, there is a, a powerful argument to be made for the fact that you know, um, it, it, particularly with the Qualcomm, the um, GPU is slightly better. But for most people, they're not going to be using the GPU all that much. Um, I mean, unless you're into a very specific kind of gaming, well, like virtual reality, like the thing we spent basically an episode talking about last week or the week before. Yeah, that's true. And of course, I love VR, but um, don't forget that the l- last year's Gear VR was powered by phones that only had Exynos processors in, and, and it was pretty seamless. Um, that was largely because the, uh, Samsung, uh, Qualcomm had problems with its chip at the time. I think it was the 820, the again, Qualcomm. It was I, just too hot. The 810. Um, no, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of dispute that as well. I mean, they're, they're, it definitely did run hot. I think... Um, uh, I, I, obviously, Qualcomm has assured me that that's not the case, and of course, Qualcomm would assure me of that. Uh, the conversations that I've had generally lead me to believe that the industrial design of phones is starting to become a problem for getting heat away, and you can see that this year because um, Sony, Samsung, LG are all using um, a system that that moves heat away from the processor for the first time. Before now, the processor was just left alone. Um, and the heat vented out of the back, and that was a, pretty much all the cooling you got. This year, um, LG told me that it has um, it doesn't have water cooling. It has uh, you know a more traditional uh, heat sink method, but the heat is drawn away from the processor. Samsung says it's got. It, I, be, I believe it said liquid cooling, but then someone did a test online and discovered it. In fact, it's actually dry. But again, it has a heat pipe that moves heat away from the processor. And Sony had a water cooling, and Microsoft announced water cooling on two fo- or two, two most recent phones. Um, and this is not a surprise to people who have PCs. You know, you need to keep processors cool to keep them running at their absolute maximum uh, power. Now, I read a Reddit thread where they were saying that um, if you repeatedly hammer the Qualcomm processor with um, with benchmarking, it does slow down quite dramatically because it has to heat throttle. So when it reaches a certain temperature, the processor obviously throttles its performance back slightly. Now, whether the Samsung does that as well, there's a whole thread on Reddit. We can link it in the show notes if, if, if it's helpful. Um, but there is so much to consider with all of these things. It's, it's a very difficult thing to sit down and just look at two phones with two different processors and say, well, one of these is obviously better because the user experience is what counts. And for the most part, I think if you handed people the two phones, one powered by Qualcomm and one powered by, uh, you know, the Exynos, I do not believe that anyone would be able to tell the difference. I think we can almost conclude it at that. that that's pretty comprehensive. You've been impressed by the product. Brilliant. In, yeah, in- it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, you know, there's... It, obviously, it sounds stupid to say it, um, but there has never been a better time to own a phone because they're just so powerful. It's unbelievable what you can do on these things now. There is an interesting point, actually, I will say about the uh, 820. Qualcomm, obviously, by virtue of the fact that it doesn't make chip processes itself, it, it relies on them being built elsewhere. In fact, 
the 820 is built by Samsung in its 14 nanometer process factory, which is the same factory, presumably, where they build the Exynos 8090. Um, but Qualcomm has done a lot of software research, and Qualcomm's very good at research and patents. And you go to their headquarters and you'll see a whole wall full of patents. Um, but what they've done is they've got some really interesting machine learning stuff in this process so that they can you can leverage. Now, of course, that means that the Samsung phones won't be able to do that because they won't universally be able to say um, this phone can recognize an orange. And that's what Qualcomm's done with its processor. So you, you point it at things and it is able to recognize them from a database. Um, and then the idea of that is it can either you can either use that for something clever like um tagging photographs with gps and with where they were taken maybe or um or what they are so you could search your um your photos on google photos say uh, photos of buildings and that would be a way of doing that because obviously it could put that metadata into the photo and you'd be able to find them again um of course samsung would be able to leverage that if it wanted to but only on the phones powered by snapdragon 820 not its own exynos so that's an interesting thing and that's where I think Qualcomm would like to distinguish itself most importantly is in the software that it, you know, that the opportunities it gives companies with the the Snapdragon um, that are very powerful. And LG did tell me um, that when they're, you know, the G5, which has this modular design, there is a possibility that they may add something. They didn't tell me what, but they could add something that uses this Snapdragon 820 feature um, later on. So it's interesting. I mean, obviously it's... uh, Processors are not interesting to most people, having waffled about it for God knows how long. Um, but well, there's so much goes into that that's fascinating. I agree. Well, I, I'm, I'm personally very interested. That's why I didn't cut you off. Um, but, um, I mean, in general, we can con- conclude here then that anyone concerned that the UK's yeah, don't S- be. S7 is underpowered, you're saying it isn't, or if it is, you don't notice at all. There will always be some differences. You know, you could not make two processors from two different companies behave in exactly the same way in every test. Um, benchmarks are a very synthetic thing anyway on any platform and absolutely shouldn't form part of the buying choice. When I review things, I, I don't tend to use them and I won't do battery tests and all that stuff because fundamentally that isn't the experience that most people will have. If you are told that your phone will last you 25 hours of web browsing, you know, you're never going to use it like that. You're never going to see that. So I think you're better off ignoring the benchmarks and just accepting the fact that all the reviews of that phone from British publications have been glowing. It's got staggering um, write-ups. Very little bad to be said about it. Well, that's going to do it, I think, for the S7 at least. Very conclusively drawn stuff there, In, But I wanted to talk about something that's been sitting in the back of my mind for probably over a year at this point because i think it came around to me a year ago when the s6 came out and i wanted to do something about it and never did and this is this thing called tetraphobia now ian you said that when i whatsapped you i confused (laughs) you you did i mean i looked at the links i was like what is he driving at here i mean it's become clearer since right to be fair i do understand what it is but let's open a little mysterious box here so historically in the East, in China, um, and certain other Asian countries that derive their languages from Chinese, the number four is considered unlucky because when uh, written out, it basically looks or sounds like the same word for death. So you can go to a lot of places in China, in Korea, in Japan, and number fours will be notable 
by their absence. So you can go to lifts that will go one, two, three, five, six, seven. Um, there are numerous examples of this all over the web if you do a search for it. And there are similar issues with um, manufacturing numbers in various pieces of hardware where the companies won't release numbers for uh, in their product numbers. But there's a particular angle to this that has intrigued me for a long time, which is how it affects marketing and this uh, of consumer electronics products made by companies around the world. And this came to my attention probably a couple of years ago at Mobile World Congress when somebody, and I can't remember who it was, but I have a feeling uh, it was somebody from the company Arm uh, here in, uh, you know, in Cambridge in England, who said that one of the reasons that Samsung might have released products with different numbers of cores in uh, in some of the Asian territories is because they didn't want to market the processor as having four cores because four was unlucky. So they developed a technology that had identical performance but had eight cores, uh, which is decidedly more uh, positive in its connotations, at least in superstitious terms in Asia. Now, there have been a number of examples where this has clearly not been the case for Samsung. I mean, they released a product called the S4. Um, they have sold in China the S7 with the Qualcomm quad-core processor in it. But when I was looking into this, just to see if this person was onto something, there's definitely a legacy where this is the case. You can see it particularly from a company, a company called Nokia. Um which even blogged years ago about the fact that it released the Nokia 1000 series, then the 2000 series, then the 3000 series, then the 5000 series, the 6000 series, and they continued that trend. That happened again with the C series because they never actually released the C4. It went C2, C3, and then it jumped to C5. Even more recently with the Nokia N90, uh, the N series, which of course we all loved. This was just before the uh, iPhone came out. They had the N70, the 71, the 72, the 73, the 75, and the same happened in the 8s, and the same happened with the N90 series. They went 92, 93, 95, and then obviously we got the iPhone and things got a bit messy there. Even under Microsoft's ownership, they've continued it. And the Asher line, which started with the Asher 200 series, they've had 200, 300. They've had Nokia 500, 501, but no number starting with four. And that's under Microsoft's ownership now. The same has been, uh, the same has been done as well um, with Canon, which has got um, uh, model numbers of cameras that just don't hit the fours. The G1, the G2, the G3, and then the G5. Um, as an example of of just one of these, um, there was also the old Scion series. That there was a Scion series three, and then the Scion series five. And apparently, someone at the time said they never released the series four because they wanted to market it into Asia, and it was considered unlucky. Um, and you know, if you go around the internet and and search for some of these, you know, there are huge numbers of examples of this where it's basically down to marketing, and companies don't want to include the number four in their product names because they are considered bad and you know the mass market appeal products it's just not good in business sense to release something that basically has the word death in its title for want of a better (laughs) unless you're unless you're in the market for certain kinds of dark rock music well yes of course but i mean you know samsung did this you know there were there were numbers of samsung um I, i mean this this one was quoted on wikipedia and i couldn't find a source for this one um, but apparently in, from uh, 2008, 
uh, a number of uh, models in some of its phones just no longer had the number four in in the name, um, but it previously had done. Um, Sony did something similar, a company I've never heard of called SaskTel. There are lots of these examples, and in a way, it sort of makes sense. And how serious a thing it is these days and how much it ever explained uh, away a decision as significant as whether to build an entirely different processor or not, you know, we don't know. But it is a very real thing. And there's I, I found enough sort of evidence just around the web, you know, even officially where companies have said on the record that, you know, we want to market this into into Asia. And so we don't want a, a name that, that has a four in it. It's a thing. And I'm curious, just to, in general, keep my eye on it, because I feel like the world is getting less superstitious. And <laughs> companies like, you know, they don't care. I mean, Apple released the iPhone 4 into China. You know, Apple just went in bull in a China shop, because if it was a problem in China... Bull then, in a China shop. Then, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get I should have claimed that was legit. Oh, yeah, definitely meant to do that. Then if it is a thing, then Apple certainly didn't give a damn. Um, and certainly, as we've seen with some companies releasing big products like the S4, it may not be a big enough deal. But it's, there do seem to have been enough examples of this to it, at least to be a thing. And um, I, I found about 12 or 13 different interesting websites and blogs around the place from people in, in Asia who have talked about being raised as very superstitious around the number four and um, how many lifts or particularly hospital floors or hospital wings, they don't have four in them and it apparently causes um, a lot of havoc for firefighters who um you know forget that their country is historically <laughs> superstitious and has skipped a floor and there are some interesting examples although hopefully not fatal examples of that on the web too so i would I always wanted an excuse to just talk about this on the podcast because i find it fascinating so at the end of an episode where we've been talking about why some products have four cores and some have eight that's about as close as i feel i'm ever going to get yeah i think so i mean it's uh it's going to be more difficult to get over that than anything indeed but let's let's keep our eye on it are there more examples of that out there of this phenomenon of tetraphobia or product names being changed for superstitious reasons alone out in the u.s um let us know podcast at natelangson.com and after that 10 minute speech on top of my mysterious little podium it's time for me to go and blow my nose, have a lem sip, and a Radox bath, and play with <laughs> some bubbles. Uh, Ian, it has been a great pleasure. It has. Thank you, Nate. Speak to you soon. And for anyone who wants to listen to us continually, then please do help us make that happen by going to iTunes, leaving us a review in your local iTunes market. As ever, this is the thing that is of more benefit to us um than any kind of donations um which you have suggested being willing to do in the past and you know we've we've said no and there are you know thousands of you that listen every week and so it's great to see numbers of people going onto their local itunes and leaving us a, a positive review or hopefully positive review um and telling your friends telling your colleagues helping them install a podcast app and helping them listen to text message or of course tom's daily tech news show in the week as well and, and many others so thank you for everyone who's done that and for those of you who are about to see you in a week hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.